delighted to be here this morning. I love the phrase that he used, we are culture shifters. Uh, what a phenomenal picture of seeing our culture shift. Um, I'm especially happy to be here on the day when you're changing your name. I love the things that we've heard. Let me repeat them again. The original name of this area was Bertie Township, which means brightly lit. It was changed during the War of 1812 to a war name, Fort Erie. It was named after war. I said to your pastor this morning, I had the privilege a number of years ago of uh, preaching in a church in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, a great church, but yet there was a sadness to a name that was a town that was named after and whose main industry was war. You're changing that this morning. Given us what we think of the, and, and pastors already said it, counterfeit identity signifies dark and dreary and death and destruction and difficulty. And it's been changed to power and identity with light. You are the light set on a hill. And your name uh, of a new church, and I have it behind me today, Light City. What a phenomenal name. And your Buffalo Project and your music is called Light. Pastor also told me that your lead scripture in this house is Zechariah 8. And if you've got an iPhone or you've got an iPad or you've got a Bible, maybe you have a paper Bible like I do. Uh, this morning, let me read to you some of the words of that phenomenal chapter, Zechariah chapter 8. Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. The first thing he says, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal, with great fervor, I am zealous for her. Let me read that with your name in it. I am zealous for light city with great zeal, with great fervor. I am zealous for light city. Thus says the Lord. I will return to light city. I'll dwell in the midst of light city. Light city shall be called the city of truth. The mountain of the Lord, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets, each one with staff in his hand or with authority in their possession because of great age. It also says in the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the street. The 12th verse, for their seed shall be prosperous. The vine shall give its fruit. The ground shall give her increase. The heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess these things. 
Lord, may the anointing of your spirit be on the words that we speak. In Jesus' name, amen. I am zealous for Light City. I want to call it the church with the wow factor. The example I'd like to use from history is the example of Dr. Cho in Korea. When we went to Korea in 1962, they had just finished the Korean War. Korea was not, and Seoul was not a city with a ghetto. The entire nation was a ghetto. The sewers had been blasted open by bombs until sewage, human excrement, flowed in the streets. I remember we went to Taejon, Korea. There was hardly a building left in the downtown area. And because the buildings had been torn down by bombs, every rat in the city had been released. I remember one night we had three rats in our bedroom because when you literally blow buildings up, the rats escaped to the streets. It was a unbelievable terror that had taken place in that nation. In the midst of all that, a young man by the name then of Paul Cho, uh, a very, very uh, uh, courageous, uh, a very talented young man, had been asked of God and of his denomination to start a church in Seoul. And he started one in an old tent. I remember standing on that piece of ground in the midst of human excrement and standing there where he preached his sermons to a congregation of very poor, war-torn people. And he chose a message. His message, we define it today as word of faith, and it was word of faith to him. God can heal your body. There's a covenant in the scripture. The word of God works. All of the things that we've often heard in word of faith, that was Dr. Cho. It personified him. But in that, in that message, he emphasized a new point that sometimes we fail to hear. Maybe we hear it and we look at it with some disdain because we think it has human uh, tendency to it. The message that he caught in the midst of a city of bombs, in the midst of a nation that's been destroyed, in the midst of a nation where infrastructure exists no more, in the midst of millions of people living in this nationwide ghetto, I want to tell you that God says he will prosper his people. And he would look at that congregation, and this was his message. He was criticized for it. The denominations criticized him for it. His own church criticized him for it. <laughs> but his denomination, his message was simply this. God is going to take this people and he's going to prosper you. There will be millionaires in this congregation. There will be thousands of you that will go into business and you will make a nation of entrepreneurship. And he preached it again and again and again. Listen to some of the words for zealous enthusiastic, passionate, earnest, burning, spirited, militant, fanatical, fervent, impassioned, and eager. 
and this eager, spirited, enthusiastic, passionate young man said, God will turn this nation to a nation of business, a nation that will prosper. I asked him to bring me my keys because I drive a Hyundai. It's not my favorite car in the world, but it is a really good one. And it was made in Korea. How do you do it? How do you become a nation bombed out, a nation with nothing but open sewers, and make it the largest, almost the largest car producer in the world? It happened in a pulpit. It happened because one young man stood and he preached this zealous attitude. God wants to change this nation. And there's not, a, there's not a person sitting here this morning that doesn't have something Korean in their house because they are literally changing the world. I look at every time I get in my car and I look around and my friend Dr. Cho made this car. And he did. He preached a message nobody in Korea had ever heard before. I had the privilege while I was there of staying in two homes. The first home was the home of a woman by the name of Appenzeller. Her father was the first Korean missionary for the Methodist Church. We then went down to Cheongju, Korea, and there we stayed in the home of the Underwoods of the famous Underwood typewriter company. Those two families started the mission in Korea, the Appenzellers and the Underwoods. And today, the world is changed because Christian missionaries came and taught the message of prosperity. What is it that God wants to do? If God could do that with young, one young man in a nation that was an open ghetto and change the world with his message of prosperity, what can we do with a message of light in the city of Fort Erie? Listen to those words. Enthusiastic, passionate, earnest, burning, spirited. Think of some of those words. I am enthusiastic for this church. I am passionate about Light City. I am burning with fire with Light City. I am spirited with Light City. I am militant and fanatical and fervent and impassioned and eager with what this church is going to do. It is the city of light. Attitude number two of a church driven by passion. It is presence driven. And we sometimes make so light of that. Good worship, a passionate team of worshipers leading you every Sunday, and God is manifesting his presence as we sing these great choruses, and we think of it almost as liturgy. We're just worshiping. It is more than liturgy. It's more than music. It is more than just excitement. There is something that happens when we come together and we are plugged in to the energy source of God. Here is what God says. I will return to, see the, to the city of 
Fort Erie. I will return to Light City. I will dwell in the midst of Light City. Jerusalem shall be called, Light City shall be called the city of truth. What does it mean to be connected to the source? You know, it is not, you know, we th simply think of a, a person plugging their finger into a 110 outlet. It will hurt, it might even kill you if you got too connected with it. But it's not that kind of a connection. It is not plugging your finger into the power source. It is plugging the church life into the source of divine power. God is in our midst. He lives here. Say it again. God is in our midst. He lives in this house. I uh, think of the, uh, the generation that we face today, a generation we lightly call the millennials. What is it that attracts them? Is it music? Yes, music will attract them. Is it doing church in a particular way that does not offensive to them? Yes, that may attract them. But the force and the magnetic force to the millennial is presence because they are a generation. In fact, I wish I were young today. I wish I were a person who had 20 or 30 more years to live because this is going to be the generation of revival. This is going to be the generation of reaching a whole generation. You know, I lived in the day of the Jesus people, the hippies. They didn't like the former generation. They thought the, gen the former generation, this generation of millennials has a link to the old and the new. They love fathers. They love history, but they love the future. They have, a, they have some things about their attitudes are ideal for the penetration of the Christian message. And most of all, they love experiential faith. Attitude number three of Light Church. Here is the verse that I want to call your attention to. Light City shall be called the city of truth. I love that. Now, truth to some people is fundamentalism. Now, I personally don't identify very much with what we call fundamentalism. All you have to do is see what uh, the fundamentalists of religions like the Muslim faith are doing in our world. Fundamentalists sometimes by their attitudes are, 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 are the most least likely for us to like because they think they are so right and everybody else is wrong. That is not the fundamentalism I'm talking about. It's not, I'm right and you're wrong. Nor is it grace being given the ability for me to sin. I now have the ability or power not to sin. But it is a church connected to something called truth. Now, what's truth? Truth is not just me being right in my theology. Truth is not just being right in my belief system or right in my behavior patterns. Truth is, first of all, the understanding 
of this book. That's why I've always identified myself with the Word of Faith people. They used to make a statement years ago. They said the Word works because why does it work? Because it's truth. Why is healing in the atonement? Because it is truth that healing is in the atonement. Why is the Lord our healer? Because that's truth. Why is there prosperity in one that sows seed? Because that is truth. Word of Faith people were centered on the fact that this Bible is truth. It's a systematic way of understanding truth. The second model of truth that I see is the understanding of his kingdom. Uh, we have preached sometimes partial truth. Partial truth is that when I die, I will go to heaven. But that's not the entire truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that we are to bring heaven to the earth, not get out of here. We have to understand that a church, in order to be the kind of church that God wants it to be, has it to be a church that's centered in on truth, which is the balance between all things. I think there are two models of truth that I would like to simply talk about from history. The first model is Brother Kenneth Hagin. He is kind of my idol in the world. I never had a person that I ever thought more of than Kenneth Hagin. A friend, a fellow believer, the world will never be the same without him. But what was it about him that made him a man of truth? Because the only thing that he was consumed with was the book. And then there are people that believe in the kingdom. They are truth people. Because Jesus came as one that was announced like this. The kingdom of God is here. Without that, you don't have truth. Because otherwise, if we think of the devil being the ruler of the earth, which he once was until the cross, he died to redeem all things. And so truth is involved in the word and the kingdom. That's truth. This church of light is a church that connected to faith and kingdom. They are the message of God for our hour. Attitude number four. A church that's connected to heritage and roots. Listen, this is what the word says. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Light City. Each one of these old ones will have a staff in his hand because of his age. Staff. Authority. Now, I may have told you this story before, but I've got to tell it again because it fits in here. I had a friend by the name of Charles Green. He is still alive. He's 92 or 93 years of age. And uh, he pastored one of the great churches in America, Word of Faith Church in the city of New Orleans, a church of probably five, six, seven thousand 7,000 people. I don't know how much it was until the storm hit. And when the hurricane came through New Orleans, the church was devastated, the building was lost, and the congregation was lost. They couldn't even find them. Nobody knows where they went. 
few of them stayed in New Orleans. They gathered some of them up, and out of seven or 8,000 people, they maybe had a couple hundred left. But they were literally devastated. Everything was gone. And here was a man who pastored one of the largest churches in America that in a few days, everything was gone, except a few people. And uh, what do you do when that happens to you? What do you do when everything is gone? Is there still hope? Well, the one thing that Kenneth Charles Green had was his ability to preach. And he began to travel across America. And uh, one day, Kenneth Copeland heard about him. And uh, I don't know that Kenneth had ever met him before, but he heard about a man that lost his church. And like a fellow believer, he invited him to come down to see him. And he said, Brother Green, I, I know you've lost everything, but I'm here to be a son to you. Uh, I'm younger than you are, and I want to I do something for you as a spiritual father. And so he had him preach, but he didn't take a tithe offering that day. And, you know, I think Brother Copeland has maybe two or 3,000 people in that church, maybe more than that. It's a word of faith church, and so they give very good, as you can imagine. And uh, he took, didn't take an offering. At the end of the service, he said, we haven't taken a tithe offering because this morning's tithe is going to go to Charles Green. He is one that's been a father to our nation. We're going to give him this morning all the money that comes into this house. I don't know how much it was. A church... Kenneth Copeland Church has got to give a lot of money. I mean, uh, you wouldn't go there if you didn't give a lot of money. It just is part of the whole thing. It's uh, believe in this whole idea of the word of faith. And Brother Green was overwhelmed. He said, I never saw an offering like that before. Several, two or three years passed, and, and uh, over those years, Brother Copeland kept inviting him down, and he would share, and then his wife got sick, and he couldn't travel anymore, but somehow he would get care for her and bring him down, and he would preach once in a while. And, and one day he called him down not to preach, just to see his, his spiritual father. And, uh, but before he went, he was at someone else's meeting. Brother Green walked in the meeting, and they were taking this offering, this $1,000 offering, and everybody's going to sow, sow a seed of $1,000. And so uh, several people, including Brother Green, sowed a $1,000 seed. And as he's walking by the man he didn't know, never met before, walking by, he, the man looked at him and said, I don't know you, but I'm telling you, this $1,000 seed you're sowing today it's going to be multiplied, and within days you will receive $100,000. It's going to be multiplied a hundredfold. And uh, so he didn't think anything of it. I was glad to get the word of prophecy. We'll see if it works, you know. And was it long before he got another call from Kenneth Copeland? Come down and see me. And as he walked in Brother Copeland's office, Brother Copeland took some keys out of his pocket and said, here's the keys to a brand new Escalade. God told me to buy it for you. Now remember, the prophecy was a hundredfold return. A hundredfold return. That would be $100,000. So he gets home, and all of a sudden, 
About a week later, Kenneth Copeland's uh, called uh, uh, Brother Green and said, uh, his secretary called Brother Green and said, you know, I don't understand this, but I have a check made out for you from Brother Copeland. I don't understand the amount because it's kind of a crazy amount. It is $8,275 or something like that. I don't understand that amount. Brother Copeland said, I do. The sticker on that car was 92000 some dollars. You add the two figures together and it's $100,000. God is faithful to his promise. I tell that story because of the honoring that Brother Copeland gave to my friend. Made sure that life was good for him. Listen, this is the kind of church. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Light City. Each one with his staff and authority in his hand because of their age. Connected to history. But then it goes on to say, all of a sudden the scene changes, and this is my last point this morning, but in that same city shall not only be the old, but shall be the children, the boys and girls playing in the streets. The connection are two ways. The connection, first of all, is to a Brother Green who is 92 and lost everything, but to children who are the next generation. Jesus said, you shall be a light on the hill, seen by the city, seen by the world, and giving light to that world. Listen to these five identifying features once again. Zealous. Boy, that, that word amazes me. God looks at us and said, I'm zealous for Light City. Take this as prophetic, will you, for a moment. He is enthusiastic about Light City. He is passionate for Light City. He is earnest and burning for Light City. Did you ever see God burn? What in the world does that mean? God's desire is toward this house. It is spirited. His, his attitude toward us is militant and fanatical. Can you imagine God looking down and saying, I'm fanatical about that bunch down there. I'm fanatical about this city. I'm impassioned about this city. I'm eager about this city. There is something happening in the spirit that goes beyond our human understanding. I was there in 1962. I sat day after day train compartments and old pickup trucks with a young impassioned man by the name of Dr. Cho. I had no idea, listen to me, I had no idea how enthusiastic God was for Dr. Cho. I had no idea how impassioned God was for that young man. It went far beyond my imagination. I wonder if you and I could stick our fingers in the light socket, 
how much voltage there would be for Light City in the heart of God today. What is it that God thinks? How does God feel? What are the feelings and the emotions of God toward this house? Are we simply just another church? Or does God have special plans for Light City? I'm telling you, what this church is about to do in the next few years is part of the heart of God. He is zealous for it. He is impassioned about it. He is eager to get it started. He is eager to turn on the lights. And the light switch of this geographic location is located in the heart of this people. Turn on the lights. It's not just about lights in the house. It's about light in the city. Light city. It isn't called lighthouse. God has enough lighthouses. It's the igniting, the cultural shifting that happens when God turns on the lights. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this day for your prophetic word for a people. The prophetic burden, the prophetic fire you've ignited in the leaders of this house. Make it burn so brightly that the world will see the fire. In Jesus' name.